Uh, we're going to turn now to um, the passage that uh, Cole is going to bring to us through God's word. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through to chapter 2 verse 3. So it's 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 to chapter 2 verse 3. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We thank God for his word to us. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Terry, for bringing our prayers and that reading to us today. And as Terry said, we are looking today at the passage um, 1 Peter and chapter uh, verse 13 to chapter 2 and verse 3. And uh, it's all a part of our series on Peter, which is basically a letter that Peter sent to the early church. It was going for a very, very difficult time, a bit like us going right now through this pandemic and the social upheaval that we're seeing in our nation. And today is Father's Day and as we look at this passage we see that um, Peter is talking to us about God being our Father and he talks about us being obedient children and I wonder how many of you have told your children do as I say not as I do, do as I say not as I do. We demand respect uh, from our children and most parents see respect as the unflinching obedience to our word. It's based on good logic and reason. 
After all, our children start life with no experience and, and being very weak and vulnerable as babies. And we as their parents know just how dangerous this world can be. And so we spend much of their young life telling them what to do and what not to do, how to behave, to protect them from the dangers that we can see and so often they can't. We shout stop when they run towards the road. We cry, be careful when they try and uh, climb a tree. We call, don't go towards the deep end when they're trying to learn to swim. Commands that are given to protect them and to keep them safe. And so too, um, God's commands are given to us. His direction is given to us for our protection. They issue out of the Father heart of God. And for this reason, Peter, writing to his early Christians in Asia Minor, stresses the need for God's children, the people of God, to be respectful of their Father's wishes, to be obedient. So the first thing we see in this passage he says about Christians is Christians must be respectful. Respectful. He writes in verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In fact, Peter has argued from the very first part of this letter that those who have been chosen are chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. He says that in chapter 1 and verse 12, or 2. Respectful obedience, you see, is not an option for Christians. It's part of what makes us Christian. It's what we are called for, to reflect the kingdom of God, God's principles in our lives. And if you're part of the Christian family, then you and I are both called to be obedient. And it's interesting that Peter uses that verb calling as when he first heard the voice of Jesus. He was being called to follow him. We read about this in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. And there's Peter, he's a fisherman, he's mending his nets. And Jesus comes along beside his boat and says to him, come, follow me. And that's exactly what Peter does. He acts in obedience. He follows the Lord. Peter knew that obedience is part of the calling of the Christian. To walk the ways of Jesus, to follow the path of Jesus. So he writes in verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you once had when you lived in ignorance. You see, we are not to conform. And the word conform is an interesting word. The Latin uh, variant of it, conformare, um, literally comes from two words. Con meaning together and formar meaning to form. So conformare is, is basically to form together. And it means to bend yourself to the form of others, to allow your opinions to be formed by others. And the others, are obviously, in Peter's mind here, are those who are the ignorant, the, those who don't know God, who don't, know, don't follow God's word, uh, way. He writes, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter is saying, you now know better. You no longer ignorance. In the past, you may have acted in a certain way because you knew no better. But now we should no longer conform to the pattern of this world. The Apostle 
Paul tells us exactly the same thing in Romans 12, verse 2, where he writes, Do not conform to the pattern of the world. We need minds that are transformed and not conformed. As I said, Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are to be formed around the pattern and what the world sees as right. Our minds are transformed by the word and the spirit of God. And this is what it means to be obedient to Jesus. We don't ask the world what is reasonable to, to obey or whether God's standards are acceptable to the world. We obey because that is our calling as Christians. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians 4 verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live your life worthy of that calling. It is a call to obedience. Too, all too often in the modern church, a church that prides itself on being oh so sophisticated, we are told that some of the traditional teachings of the church are no longer suitable. But the world has moved on and therefore the church too needs to move on. It needs to conform to the standards and the teaching of the world. But this kind of approach to Christianity stands in a direct contradiction to the teaching of Paul and the teaching of Peter. Christians are, need to transform this world, not to be conformed by it or conformed to it. Jesus shows us the way ahead. Not the world. We are Christiani. Christians, that's what Latin means. Christiani means followers of Christ. We are Christiani, followers of Christ. We're not worldliani, followers of this world. We are called to be obedient to Christ. And that means to get rid of certain things in our lives. And Peter continues in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Of every kind. The word here for rid is quite an interesting word. Um, it literally means in Greek stripping off. It means to strip off one's clothes. And the word, the Greek word for evil is the word kakia. Um, and the combination of these two words is uh, gives quite a vivid picture. You see the worker comes home and his clothing is soiled, it's covered in kakia. It's covered in kak. It's dirty, smelly, unclean. And so what does the worker do? He doesn't walk around his family wearing his dirty clothes and so soiling other people with his mess. He strips off. He gets his clothes washed and he washes himself and then he's acceptable to mix with his family and with his friends. And the vices Peter mentions here are all attitudes that separate communities bringing about division. He mentions malice. Malice is basically pure hatred, a passionate hatred of others that has no place in the Christian church. Deceit. Who can trust a person who's deceitful? He speaks about hypocrisy and a person who's a hypocrite is an actor, like actors used to in the ancient world. They wear a mask. They conceal their real thinking. They show you one face, but their real face is another. And he speaks about envy. 
and the problem with envy and and you can see it in the lutenates that took place in america you know envy is is um is a person envious person is a person who's never happy and never is going to be happy because it's the exact opposite to contentment they want what you have they want what others have they envy and envy starts wars and causes fights then there's a person who slanders and slander is murderous talk it's where a person destroys another's reputation by lies and misinformation. We have to get rid of all this rubbish in our lives as it divides and separates people. It's bad for the family of God. You see, some things are simply incompatible with us being a Christian. So even if these things were acceptable to the world, they're not acceptable to the church, not acceptable to the Christian family, because we're called to have respect for God, to be obedient to God's commands. So we're called to be respectful, but we're also, says Peter, called to be radical. Radical. If you're someone who likes to be different, then being a Christian is very much for you. I remember as a young man, I... Um, liked to be fashionable, radical, I liked to be different. And so when um, platforms came in, I gravitated towards wearing platforms. And it was great for me because I'm the runt of my family litter. All my brothers are bigger than I, my father was six foot two, and all my cousins were around about six foot. Um, and I'm the runt of a litter, I'm only five foot eight. And I used to really struggle with this as a young guy, but wearing platforms, I remember I could walk up on the upstairs, uh, upstairs on a, on a red uh, double-decker bus and my head would touch the top of the ceiling of the bus. On platforms, I felt tall and I was fashionable. I felt tall and I felt good because I knew when my platforms, I looked cool. And that was until I almost fell down the stairs trying to get off the bus. But if you want to be radical, if you want to be different, then being a Christian is for you. A Christian is called to be radical. Peter writes in verse 15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. This is a direct quotation from the Old Testament, from Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45, where God says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves to be holy because i am holy and then later on god says be holy because i am holy now holy is often a misunderstood word it means something strange and ethereal so when you're watching the old uh, tv films you know, and, and it tries to reflect the holiness of a, of a biblical character or the holiness of Jesus. Sometimes the characters seem to float ethereally in and out of frame. That's not what holiness means. It doesn't mean you need to learn how to levitate and to float and to, and, to, and, to, and to glow in some strange way. The word literally holy means to be different. In the, in the temple, for example, if you took a cup and that cup Become, became a holy cup, it meant it could only be used for the purpose it was set aside for. It was no longer a common cup. It couldn't be used for any substances or in any use. It had to be used solely for the purpose it had been set aside for. It was different to the other cups. So when the Bible talks about Sunday, the Sabbath being a holy day, it means it's a different day. We do different things on that day than the rest of the week. It's not the, we mark it out by being different. It doesn't start to glow in some strange way. It means it is different. And when we're called to be holy, we're called to be a people who are 
different. So our lives are not to be lived like everyone else in the world. We are to be different and we are to reflect the difference of our Father God. Peter says to us, be holy because I am holy. This is actually quite natural, isn't it? Because we expect children to take after their parents. And God is telling us to take after him. Peter writes elsewhere, but by following the promise God has given us, gifted us, that we may participate in the divine nature. He says this in 2 Peter, verse one fourteen. And Jesus himself told us, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 5 verse 48. This is why we have to get rid of that darkness in our lives because the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We are to be different. We are to reflect the light and the love and the purity and the perfection of God our Father. We are called to live bright lives, wholesome lives, lives that bring love into this world. And this means that our love must be sincere and deep. We are to love radically, cries Peter. Verse 22, have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. It's, uh, we're told to have sincere love. And that word sincere is a very interesting word in the Greek language. Um, it literally means at full stretch at full stretch. So for example, if you're running, if you were to run sincerely, it means you would fully stretch out your legs as far as you can. You would run as fast as you can with no holding back. It means not to dwaddle, not to take your time. It means to give your all. It means to love with a full intensity and not holding back, to be all out. And so God's love is radical. And that radical love is seen in giving. You see, so often in our society, love is not seen as giving, it's seen as getting. People reject a partner, they, they leave a relationship because they have fallen out of love. They no longer get. But as long as you see love as getting, you're always going to be falling out, out with people because love isn't about getting. Love, as defined by God, is about getting. That wonderful verse, John 3, 16, the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave and he carried on giving. And Jesus came to this world to give. He shows us what love is. When love is perceived and defined as getting, you're always going to find that love right out on you because you're never going to get enough. But when you see love as something that you give, you find you get back because you give. Love is something that is given and God defines love. When Peter was talking about us being holy as God is holy, he's saying that God is not like other gods. And when Peter was writing in the ancient world, when you had the gods of the Romans and the gods of the Greek, these gods were capricious gods. They were constantly having uh, affairs with humankind. They treated humankind as the playthings. They were volatile. They were vicious. They were very often violent. They were very rarely compassionate. They saw humankind as, as puppets. They could do whatever they wanted with. And, God is, and Peter is saying, God is not like that. He is a different. He is holy. And we too are to reflect that holiness. And that means, says Peter, another thing common to this epistle is that it makes us foreigners in this world. 
He writes in verse 17, live out your time as foreigners with reverent fear. He's reminding us that we don't belong here. This is not our home. Our standards are not are to be different from this world. This is a different culture in the world. It's the culture that God has for us, the Christian culture. Again, it's what uh, Paul teaches in, Ro in Romans chapter 12. You know, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says, then you will be able to test and approve what, uh, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Our attitudes are to reflect the culture of God. They are to reflect God himself. We are foreigners here. And we are known not only to act as like foreigners, but we're to act out of fear. Because he says here, we need to remember that one day there will be a reckoning, a judgment, and the truth will be out. And all our actions and works will be judged, not according to the standards of this world, but according to the standards of God. Peter says for us in verse 17, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here, in reverent fear. Peter said in us to remember that Jesus is returning. And when he returns, he comes as a judge. And no matter how wonderful and sophisticated the world's values seem to be, God will judge them. And if you've aligned your life according to their, their, their standards, and not according to God, you will be judged accordingly. Live a life in reverent fear of your creator, the one who made you. So Peter is saying to the Christian church, he's saying, first of all, be respectful, obey God's command. He's saying, after that, he's saying, not only be respectful, be radical, like your father, be holy. And lastly, he says, be ravenous, be ravenous. But not just for anything. Be ravenous for the truth of God's word. He tells us we can't trust in the words, words of man because man's words are failing and they're falling. He writes in verse 24, For all people are like grass, and their body is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. Verse 24. Fiona and I love our garden, and Fiona's been doing wonders in the garden, putting and planting lots of flowers, and they're wonderful. We, we have our, our quiet time sitting out looking out on our garden, and we're watching these wonderful flowers blossom and bloom. But after a couple of weeks, their petals fall and they die back. Their glory days have gone. And then a new flower blossoms and blooms. And another flower, another colour. All this is happening in our gardens at this time. Man is like a flower who blossoms for a season and then his petals fall and his glory fades and his season is done. So his words are not enduring. So we base our lives on the teaching of man. We're going to have problems because his blossom falls so quickly. Just like the unfortunate statue of Edward Colston. Edward Colston was an English merchant who followed his father in his family business, becoming a sea merchant. Initially he traded in wine, fruit and textiles, mainly in Spain, Portugal and the other European ports. But by 1680, Colston became involved in the slave trade as a member of the Royal African Company, which held the monopoly of the English trade in African slaves. 
He eventually was to become the deputy governor of that company. And in the 19th century, he was promoted as a local benefactor to his nat native city of Bristol, and a statue was built in his honour, because the slave trade was not considered to be an evil, but some way of bringing great profit to the West. But the slave trade regarded people as commodities, just as uh, Edward Colston originally you know, sold uh, fruits and textiles and wine, now he was selling human beings as commodities, and that was not seen as wrong. That's crazy and bizarre for us in the 21st century. But it was an evil fashion. And we no longer believe that evil fashion to be right. His beliefs basically were not true, but were based on the evil warped thinking of mankind at that time. You see, we cannot trust the warped thinking of mankind to guide us. We cannot trust the thinking of people like Edward Colston, who looked down on people which is looking so wise and so great, kneeling, uh, sorry, resting on his staff. A wise man, but actually a man who did great evil. And so as mankind's petals fall, so Edward Colston's glory faded and has fallen. You see, we can't trust the words of man. All people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field, says Peter. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter tells us trust in God's word because his word endures, because God is eternal. And in today's society, there's a growing appeal to find the truth within you. But we need to listen, but we need to listen to our hearts to find truth. We even talk about our truth and your truth. That's nonsense. If your truth and my truth disagree, how can they both be true? Truth is truth. It's a lie. You do not find truth in your heart. You might find desire, you might find passion, you might find great emotion, but you also find their anger and bitterness and will. This is why the Bible doesn't teach us to look inside to find truth. It teaches us to look outside of ourselves. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And yet so many modern philosophers say, look inside. And we wonder why people are confused in the 21st century. We wonder why we have so many young people who are, who are depressed and suffering from mental illness because they've been taught to look inside to find truth and all they find is confusion. And we say it's OK. And it's not OK. We've been lying to our children and lying to the current generation. That is shocking. Truth is not something that you create. Truth is not something you find inside you. If you... The law of gravity is a truth. It's a simple scientific principle. Now you can believe in the law of gravity or not believe in the law of gravity, but it will still hold, have a hold over your life. And if you walk to a cliff and say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, it doesn't mean the law of gravity will not still be true for you and you will not fall off that cliff. Just because you don't accept something as a truth does not make it untrue. And just because we call something true doesn't make it truth. We need to obey the truth. 
or we hurt ourselves and hurt others. Peter writes in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Peter tells us that there is a truth. Principles that remain constant, like the polarity of the earth, they help to navigate us through this life. And Peter tells us we need to crave this truth. He writes in verses uh, chapter 2 and verse 2 to 3, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so it will be so that it um, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the lord is good i can remember when my sons ross and wesley were babies and how that they would howl if they needed anything they would scream to let us know if they were hungry and if that didn't work they would wail and if that didn't work they would they would sob and, and weep with great abandon until we would come and give them the bottle or the feed that they wanted. And suddenly, once their little lips found the source of the food, once again, silence would return to our home. And only the eager noise of suckling would be heard. Peter says to us, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual meat. Scream for it, cry out for it, desire it like a baby does. And the word here for spiritual is the Greek word log, log, logicus. And logicus is, is an adjective of the noun logic, uh, of the noun logos. And we all know, um, many Christians know that logos means quite literally in Greek word, the word. And so here Peter is saying, crave spiritual milk. He's saying, crave the logicus. The word of God. He mentions in verse 25 that the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter's saying, crave that word, scream for it. Be hungry for the word of God. If you're to grow as a Christian from an immature Christian to a strong Christian, it is only going to come when you start craving the word of God. Wanting the truth of that word in your life, in your mind, directing you in your ways. You may say to me, Cole, Cole, come on, Cole. <laughs> Cole, it's the 21st century. Cole, what is truth? What is truth, Cole? And you may think by saying to me that question, you sound reasonable and intelligent, offering such profound doubt and scepticism. What is truth, Cole? Well, this is not new. So please don't put yourself on the back and think you've come up with some kind of new concept. In fact, the most famous person to offer these not very wise words, was a certain procreator called Pontius Pilate, the Roman procreator of Palestine. Remember him? Remember Pilate? He was a man who's gone down in history for sending an innocent man to his death, who publicly washed his hands, in, in, uh, washed his hands of truth and justice and simply gave in to mob rule. That's what great leader he was. Why? Because in Pilate's mind, there was no truth, just pragmatism. And there are no statues to Pilate in the 21st century. Why? Because he was a weak and snivelling example of a human being. He had no backbone, no morals, just a great ambition. His encounter with Jesus is found in John 18. And we read about this and there in that passage, Pilate says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, 
You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, said Jesus. Ha! What is truth? retorted Pilate. You see, Jesus stands for truth. He stands for reason and he stands and he hung for you and for me. People crave the word of God, hunger after the Bible, feed on it, learn from it, read it, be touched by it and allow it to touch you and to shape you, to transform your life. Then you will live according to the truth, not merely by the flawed human thinking of mankind. Are you living today according to the truth of God's word? You see, one day there will be a judgment and then the truth will be out. And we will all be judged, not by the warped standards of today's world, but by the very perfect standards of the Holy God. People, Peter tells us, be respectful, be radical, be ravenous. For Jesus says in John 8 verse 32, know the truth and the truth will make you free. Amen. Father God, we pray you may reveal your truth to each one of us. For everyone who's watched this service and who watches this service later on may be touched by your truth. Father God, by your spirit, speak and challenge, convict and convey your message deep into our hearts. Father God, be the holy God of ours. Make us perfect as you are perfect. Give us a hunger for your word and help us to be liberated by your truth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.